0: I hope that you did take note of the words of the hymn they were taken from psalm 16 which is going to be the basis of our message tonight so if you have your scriptures you may want to turn to them now to psalm 16. before i begin to read the psalm and then do my best to tell you what it means, i like to ask the Lord's assistance in prayer. <clears throat> Our Holy Father, we thank you for your kindness and your long-suffering and patience toward us. We know, Father, that without Christ, we would be among all people most miserable. There would be nothing in this world for us. There would be absolutely even the joy of the world would be, come, nothing but pain. So, Father, we know that you are our portion. You have given us all that our hands can hold. That even the even the bad is good. We have seen how your mighty power has abounded toward us, and how all these things around us has pointed us to our great Savior, our great refuge. great preservation of the Lord Jesus Christ so father open our ears tonight and open the scriptures to us we pray that these things might be done for the good of your people for the glory of our Christ and for the glory of yourself we pray this in our Lord's name amen Amen. I'd like to read this to you I'm going to be reading from the ESV version this is a poem of David preserve me O God The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup, and you hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, indeed I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel, in the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, and I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices my flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to show or let your holy one see corruption you make known to me the path of life in your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore this is a beautiful poem now remember that the hebrew poetry is not like our poetry It doesn't have meter, it doesn't rhyme, it actually takes the words, the meaning of the words and says a phrase and then it rephrases it again with another phrase. That's how the poetry works. You'll notice how this poem uh, is just like that. It'll say one thing and say it again. But this has a a real um, significant theme to it. Uh, If you will recognize this theme, it was used as the text for Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. We'll be looking at that later on when we get to the practical applications or, or near to that. But it is a beautiful part of that sermon where Christ is shown to be risen from the dead. And this is the passage that was used to point that out to those people. And thousands of people were saved from the preaching of that, that sermon. The doctrine I want you to take home tonight is this. Our relationship to God is the most important part of our life. If you recall, when we read this poem, he starts off by defining what that relationship is. He starts with a prayer, and then he says the relationship. Preserve me, O God, and you I take refuge. That's the relationship. But it were, and, and, he, and he defines it better. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. That's the relationship. So, this particular poem is one of many messianic poems. Now, a messianic poem, or a messianic psalm, It is a psalm that defines uh, or provides uh, the Lord Jesus Christ in a prophetic way, or tells us what He's done, or tells us what He's going to do. It's all about Christ. We've already had a few messianic poems uh, or psalms. Psalm 2 and Psalm 8 are both messianic, and we have many others. But this uh, this is a unique one that addresses the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I've read several people on this uh i like what matthew had to say about it i like what Boyce had to say about it and i like what spurgeon said the best sometimes i i toss a coin on which one i use because they're all good but this time no coin needed i really enjoyed what spurgeon had to say about this because he had the leaning that all of this is about christ mm-hmm. now it's not to say that none of it is about david it's all about david but there's also a reflection of of the lord jesus christ having these words in his heart. And if you want to know the mind of Christ, I believe that we can saturate ourselves with the meaning of this psalm and we'll understand how Christ felt about his God, how he felt about us, how he felt about living in the flesh, and how he lived his life the way we should have lived, living a life full of faith. And so I like what Spurgeon had to say about it. This particular psalm can be divided into four different sections in verses 1 and 2 we'll see how the writer defines his relationship to the lord in verses 3 and 4 we see how this relationship impacts the writer's relationships with everyone else in other words since he has a relationship with god now he has a relationship with everyone in the world between the unsaved and the saved he has a relationship with both of those but those relationships depend upon his relationship with god thirdly we look at how uh, in verses 5 through 8 how the relationship that the psalmist has with god provides blessings to him there are certain blessings that are provided to him just because he has a relationship with the lord and lastly in the last section verses 9 through 11 we see how his relationship with the lord provides him a future hope and of course that provides the scriptures that would be used by the uh, apostle peter when he said our lord has been risen from the dead and so, with this, before we get into the verse-by-verse explanation of it, I want to give you the reason why I chose there. There's a the title. If you looked at the bulletin this morning, I put in the title for this: "My Portion and My Cup." Now, the words "portion" and "cup" in the context that we're looking here it, it, it means something like this: What God has provided for me in my life, the daily bread, my providential uh, provision. Uh, That which I have that I can eat, basically what I can eat, and what I can drink. Because this is the same type of word that's used, Lord, give us our daily bread. And we also have the cup that goes with it. But I believe from Spurgeon's point of view, which he had a very astute observation here, that the Lord Jesus Christ, he was the one that wanted us to understand that we don't live by bread alone, do we? We live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And yet his face was to set himself to go to Jerusalem and to take that cup. Now, this is not a cup of pleasure, is it? It is not a cup that we would say, thank you for the daily bread that I have and all the suffering that I'm going to do. It's not seemingly like what we would normally say. But when we look at how Christ willingly suffered for us, he sees his relationship with God and his relationship with the excellent ones. Did you notice all those words were used concerning the people of God? The excellent ones in the earth. He has this relationship where his suffering actually brings himself to the point of saying my suffering will satisfy my need to please God and to save his people. And so he becomes satisfied with his own pain. And I think this is where David can also train us or teach us to say there is suffering in our life that we can use and say there is going to be joy from our suffering. God gives us good things and we can enjoy them every day. But the things that we have to endure, if we understand how these things work all together for the good of God, for the good of you, then you can enjoy them too, if you understand that the pain you suffer now is an investment in the joy in the future. So that's kind of the whole psalm put together in a nutshell. So you can have have the answers up front. You won't be tested at the end. Those are the answers right now. So let's go to verses 1 and 2 and read them. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. So we can see it begins with a very simple prayer, a very simple prayer that actually defines the type of relationship we have with God. The first thing that comes out of David's mouth I need preserved. I need help. There is this basic relationship, I am a sinner. I understand that he is a holy God. And now I'm pleading to God to be my preservation, not my judge and condemning God, not, not in his justice do I want to face him, but in his mercy and grace. And so he pleads, preserve me. And so in you I take refuge. When it comes to being convicted of our sin and knowing that we are going to be condemned, to whom would we go? Would we run to the judge who could actually condemn us? In this case, since our Jesus Christ is God, we can say, we can look to God, we can look to the Judge because when we are in Christ, then we can say that God is our refuge. So this defines our relationship, that we need a refuge, that we need a place to be preserved, and that Jesus Christ is our safe place. Take note whenever you read your scriptures, how many times will you read in the epistles that we are in Christ, in Christ. You see, the concept of justification, the very idea that he's given us his own righteousness, must mean that we are in him to receive it, and that we were in Adam when we were condemned. And so the phrase, in Christ, is very important to understand, and that the psalmist right here is actually defining the idea, I want to be in him. I want to be in God in that safe place, in that place of rest, where we will not be in turmoil. The writer is also observing these things where he says, the Lord, he said, I will, uh, I say to the Lord, and if you notice in your scriptures, that is the capital L-O-R-D, that means Jehovah. And so he says to Jehovah, you are my Adonai. In other words, my master. So I say to the Jehovah, I say to to, to to the God of all, That he is my master. He is actually defining the relationship by saying, I want to belong to you. I want to be your servant. So you are my refuge and I want to be your servant. So you are my Lord. He also says that he is the almighty God and he needs to be owned by him as a master. I want to be owned by you. Now the next phrase is why we... I've chosen this title also, and why I think the value of this psalm can help us in understanding how we can embrace the suffering we have by saying that this is an investment. This will become our joy because he says, apart from you, I have nothing that is good. Now, it's an interesting way of saying it. It is a poetic way of saying it. It means that sometimes we, we tend to get, like if we're around someone, we feel better. You know, like you're, uh, you're in love with your spouse and you're, you're in a better mood when you're near them and so on. And I don't think this has anything to do with that. It really, it, 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 it has that type of feeling to it. But when it comes to understanding all of life, the important aspects of, you know, do we have... Um, our life in in, in control at all. I'm kind of losing my thought right here, but it works a little bit like this. Apart from him, there is nothing that is good. Nothing. If we separate ourselves from God, even the good that we have is bad. If we are separated from God, the bad that we have is horrible. And so if we are with God, we know that the goodness that we receive, the kindnesses, the the natural blessings that he he even gives everyone in the world because god is commonly good to all of us there's common grace everywhere we all have air to breathe we all have our legs to walk most of us here and we all have these type of things that are blessings to us but even when god says here is a burden to bear and a cross to bear and a cup to drink even that is going to be good because all things with god are going to be good Without you, the bad is exceedingly bad. But with you, even, even the bad is good. And so I want you to imagine, just for a few seconds, I want you to imagine that there is no life with God right now. That we do not have a God. I want you to think with that thought that misery actually has no meaning to it. Misery is just plain misery. There's nothing good about it. The bad things that happen to you are just bad. That's it. Now you see, that's what the world has. The world has nothing but bad when bad happens. Now if there is no God, the goodness that we have in our lives is actually bad also, because it vanishes away. The goodness of life in this world without God does not last. It is like a fleeting dream. It is like a mist in the morning that dries up with the sun. And so without God, The hope of anything and everything is gone. There is no hope at all. Apart from God, we have no good. And all the good we have is from God. Everything that we have. We must recognize that. We must know from where our strength comes from so that we know where to cast our eyes and to keep our focus. The next section is going to be verses 3 and 4. We'll read those together. This tells us about the relationship that we have with God, impacts our relationships with other people. So, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out, or take their names on my lips. Now this is where the commentators kind of went in all different directions. Uh, Boyce had very good things to say about it, but I love what Spurgeon, what what he had to say about it. The idea is this, that there are two types of people in this world when you have a relationship with God. You have the saved and you have the unsaved. You have what is called here the Excellent Ones. The Excellent Ones. What a way to describe it. The Excellent Ones. Would we describe it ourselves? or would we say, oh, I'm one of those Excellent Ones, would we do that? I would hope we wouldn't. I hope there would be enough humility, enough of, uh, of that. But the one who is saying it is David. But I believe also the one who is saying it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now why would he call us the excellent ones? Because he's going to provide that refuge and that preservation to us and give us what it takes to be the excellent ones. The other one, those who run after another god, the ones who run after another god, Let's take a look at those people that are called saints. In the scripture here, we see that David, or Christ, takes delight in these people. There's nothing like the fellowship of other Christians. I take delight in having fellowship with other Christians. I truly do. And I know that the Lord Jesus Christ takes delight in his people. He delights in it. He doesn't say, well, it's a good time he doesn't care about that type of thing. He has his heart set upon us. There is a desire within him to own us. There is a great travail in his soul that has been satisfied. And we are the object of that great work. Why? Because we have been chosen of the Father and God sent him on that mission. And he set out, Upon us because of that great obedience to God. The Lord Jesus Christ delights in all the saints in all the ages. He makes them the excellent ones by his mighty redemptive work. He changes their heart, he changes their mind, and one day you will change their body. This whole psalm goes in that direction. He 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 delights in them, and it ends with the idea that. Their bodies lie in hope and that they will be one day raised from the dead. This is where Christ says, this is my joy. And we are the ones that that bring him joy. Not that we deserve, not that we have something valuable in us, but he is going to make us like that. The others, the ones who run after another God, it's an interesting way to put it, is it not? The psalmist could have said it in a hundred different ways, but he chose to say it this way. The others who run after another god. They could have said who worship other gods, who seek out other gods. But he says they run. The idea that they should run from God and run to other gods. Matthew Henry says it this way. Their sorrows are multiplied times the number of their false gods. All their sorrows. If they have a false god, they have sorrows. If they have more than one false god, they have a multitude of sorrows this very idea here if you would read the sorrows of those who run after another god and then the phrase is repeated again that's the way the hebrew poetry works the sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply and then it repeats it their drink offerings of blood i will not pour out or take their names on my lips that's another way of saying that it's an interesting way of saying that is it not that david should take a look at these people and say And remember, David was a king. David was a king. If they should come to him and say, we pledge our allegiance to you. We would offer our services to you. We want you to take what we have and accept it. And he said, I'll not pour it out. Why? Because pouring out a drink offering is a ritual of acceptance in the tabernacle. People would bring a drink offering to the altar and they would pour that on the altar. It would steam up and rise up to God. It was an offering to God. God would accept it. He would be pleased with it. But David would not even accept it. Nor would he even bring the names of their lips upon his lips. He would not repeat them. But when we turn this to Christ, we have a whole new view of this. The idea that Christ is to receive offerings from us is repeated in Romans chapter 12. Does it not say that we should offer our bodies the living sacrifice to God, which is our reasonable and acceptable service. And God would then take and we are poured out before Him, and we are accepted in that service. But He also takes our names upon His lips and turns to the Father and says, "I intercede for them. I want to you, I want to introduce them to you. I represent them. I will now plead for them." Christ does this for us. This is not the ones in whom, that is, these are the ones in whom he rejoices in. But the others run in the other direction. They offer their drink offerings not to be accepted by David, not to be accepted by Christ. So David takes delight in the fellowship of the saints, will not approve of ungodly friends. Christ takes delight in those who are chosen of the Father, delighting even in the suffering on their behalf. Christ will gladly carry the burdens of His loved ones. He carries their names before the Father, and He will find refuge for them and the preservation of God in their presence. Let's read the next section. Verses 5 through 8. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be shaken. Now this particular section has to do with the blessings that are received because of your relationship with God. Because we have a relationship with the Lord that says, I own you. I want my I want to be preserved in you I take my refuge in you because you have that relationship now there will be blessings given to you and I have identified four distinct blessings in these passages that we need to take a look at number one the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup number two you hold my lot and number three the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places indeed I have a beautiful inheritance and number four I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night also my heart instructs me. Those are the phrases that we'll take a look at individually. So let's take a look at the first one. First, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. If we looked at this through the eyes of David, we would say this, that David would look at life and be happy and be content with the mere uh, necessities of life. His portion, the daily bread, what we have to eat and drink. He would say that, each day he gives him what he needs, his daily bread. And since the cup is mentioned, we would say that this is part of that portion. Now, when it comes to a messianic psalm, we have Christ who says, and, 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 and we say this thinking of how would Christ say this. He is my chosen portion and my cup. He would say that Christ would say to him in, in his heart, my God is all of my goals. My God is all of the bread of heaven that I need. Even the cup that He gives me is my portion, that is my joy to take, that is my desire to achieve the good and the bad. What lessons can we learn to imitate our Christ that we should look at our life and say, even the bad, even the bad will I joyfully do, knowing that it does good that God has not given it to me because he is wanting us just to see how much we can take. But there is something to be accomplished by it. There is good to be done by it. And so we see here that the portion is the work that Christ has, to, has been given by, by God to, to accomplish. Everything that he did. My life is to do the will of my Father. What he has done from the foundation of the world. I know the scriptures that I have work to do. What I see, the Father does. Remember all those phrases in, in, in your reading in the Scriptures? All those have been found in the Gospels in of Christ. The cup can be referring to the suffering of Christ on our behalf. So we see here that Christ is being thankful for all these things. The heart of Christ will never be satisfied unless he does all that the Father has given him to do. And when he said, it is finished, he has accomplished it all. So secondly, he says that... You are my lot. Now, this is an interesting phrase. We use this phrase uh, even in our times, but the lot can be used to describe how the people of Israel or the people led into the land by Joshua were provided an inheritance. But I would say that um, this particular idea is presented in verse 6, and so we're not going to go in that direction. It really can also mean that this is the uh, providential Items that God has given to each and every one of us. And so he says, he concedes that everything that God brings into my life, I shall be completely satisfied with. And that is a tremendous statement to say. That is a, that is a, a position that put yourself in that will make you a lot joy, more joyful than what we are. It is like the hallmark of the world right now to be completely discontent with everything it seems like everyone is just they're not happy with anything as a matter of fact it's it's almost admired to be unhappy in this world you know sometimes you look at the at the philosophies of life and they say well uh, are you a socialist are you a capitalist are you this or that many times it boils down to are you content i think you just need to strive a little bit further you know you need to have this much better you would be a better person if you just kind of instead of being happy with this strive to get this and discontentment is kind of like the fuel that is uh, the source of your success it's like what fires uh, what what makes uh, capitalism successful well a good dose of greed ought to do it well there's a big difference between being uh shall we say a good steward and someone that just cannot get enough someone that just cannot be satisfied we need to be people that can be satisfied and be content we need to understand that when god gives us a lot in life that there is a reason behind it you just think for a few minutes there is none of us here ever filled out one of those applications that says oh you were about to be born where would you like to be born there is a uh, uh, a time what century would you like to be born what sex would you like to have male or female or other okay you what what type of thing would you want to fill out and you know you just wouldn't be happy unless you had all that really no, there is a lot that has been given to you. There is a, a situation, a, a, a life, uh, everything about you, your health. It's all been given to you. And what are you going to say? I am so discontent. If only I wasn't this or that. In our society, we want to do that. We want to say, I am not a male. I am not a female. I am not this. I am not that. I am not black. I'm not white. I'm not anything. I can choose whatever I want to do. Look, that's not true. Why don't we just take a look at the facts and say, this is my lot. And wouldn't it be wonderful if we could look at it and say, bless the Lord for my lot in life. In Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, we read this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Think of that. Can you take a look at what God has provided you and say, thank you. Thank you for what you have given me. For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, let us be content. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to make you into a Republican or a Democrat, and I'm not trying to convince you to do any of these other things like that. You have that freedom and liberty to think for yourselves, do you not? But what I want you to do now is to be content with what God has given to you. You need to look at it and say, It's just not fair. If you cannot identify the person to whom you're talking when you say it's just not fair, you are talking to God. You cannot take that position of judging God. It's not good for you. I almost, the world, as a matter of fact, almost will compliment you and admire you if you're unhappy, if you're discontent. They always want you to want more to be discontent. But the flesh of man has a real failing. The flesh even tempts us to go in the direction where we can only be happy with what we should not have. Isn't that the saddest story of human race? But it's true, isn't it? David is content with what God has brought into his life. We read the words that the Lord is my portion and my cup. And then he says, You hold my lot. My lot. Now, when it comes to Christ, his viewpoint on this, the satisfaction of Christ is one of the great themes in Scripture, in my opinion. You don't read about it a lot, but it is very important. And I'm talking about the lot of Jesus Christ. You see, we all have a lot, but Jesus Christ had a lot too. He had things that he was given to God to do. What was his lot in life? Well, he said it was wonderful. He said it was full of joy. He said he had loved ones surrounded him, the excellent ones. He said he had God before him. He rejoiced always. He is just wonderfully satisfied. And when it came to the horrible things that he had to endure for us, for the cup that he had to drink on our behalf, he said he was satisfied. Would we be satisfied following that same example? Because many of us will have horrible things that we will have to endure. We'll have to watch the death of loved ones. We'll have to see loved ones that we care about walk away from the Lord. There will be pain and sorrow. There will be all types of things. You'll be hated just because you love Christ. All these things can happen to us. But can we learn from our Lord that even from those sorrows, good is going to come about from it? They are like seeds planted that will one day produce the fruits of joy, but they're not to be enjoyed today. Today, they're hard. Today, they're hard. Remember what our Lord Lord prayed the night before he was crucified. Lord, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, please let it pass. But, not my will, but thine be done. How much can we learn from that in our own lives? David let's go on to where it says on the third line thirdly the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places indeed I have a beautiful inheritance now this actually does refer to the idea that when Joshua went into the promised land the land was divided up the lines that we would say of a surveyor the lines of someone that says from this point to this point you put a rock here put a rock here everything on this side is yours this is your family everything and David is describing his inheritance where the lines have fallen and he's given this land to enjoy that they are beautiful places of beautiful inheritance. Now we can say David had that physical land and I'm sure that he enjoyed it. And so what does Christ say? Christ looked at his inheritance and what is that? What did he inherit? What did he come after and say it is a beautiful thing? what in this world could he call beautiful but to do the will of his father and to be satisfied with dying for sinners uh, we can say well that doesn't sound good to me i would beg to differ what he has done with us is a wonderful thing it is a beautiful thing we have been made into heaven god has made us into the stones that build the temple he has given us his own life in that land. He is the lamp that holds the light of that city. Christ is the creator of heaven and earth, and all the foundations and all the plans and all the lines that have been laid, they all point to the worthy Savior of sinners. Isn't it a great thing to think about our Christ? The great plans that have been played, that have been laid and, and put into place? Fourthly is this. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel, in the night also my heart instructs me. Now this is a common thing for David to say in many of the Psalms. Have you not read the Psalms where he declared how the word of God is a lamp unto his feet, how he meditates on his word in the night? And we see here also that in the night also my heart instructs me, now don't be confused about that. The Lord. Isn't saying you know, David is not saying, my heart instructs itself. He is saying, in the night, I take the word and I meditate on the word. And my, my mind and heart being marinated in the truth of God instructs me. This is what he's saying. Now, of course, when we start thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ, it's hard for us to think. We may say to ourselves, well, he just knew the word of God automatically because he was the incarnate word of God. But we need to understand that He was incarnate flesh, and He was made like us. He was a man of faith. He believed what the Word said, and He did what we should have done. He believed what we should have believed. Even though He was God incarnate, He was a man of faith, and that's hard for me to understand. But we can be encouraged by that. Why? Why can we be encouraged? Because we can be like Him. He has shown us that it is doable and that we should follow in his footsteps. The Lord, he says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. The Lord blessed his Holy Father who sent him on that mission. During the days of his flesh, he lived by faith. He lived by the counsel of the whole word of God, believing and obeying the wisdom and direction provided in it. Who else could do this other than the word of god incarnate the one who has the spirit of god without measure we need to understand better the doctrine of the holy trinity that god the father god the son god the holy spirit are all one god that there is no division between them the triunity of god it is a mystery that's beyond my capability to understand let alone communicate to you but i do know this in the days of his flesh he believed But when he died and he rose again, he entered back into his glory. And that's our God now. The Lord, you may say, is the Lord Jesus Christ God? He most certainly is. The Lord Jesus Christ is our God. And when we look to God and say, there is my preservation and there is my refuge, we are looking to Christ. If you've seen Christ, you've seen the Father. If you have loved the Holy Spirit, you have loved Christ. These are true. Lastly, in this section, I have set the Lord always before me. That's his relationship. Do you see the first prayer? Do you see how he prayed to God? Preserve me. Be my refuge. You are my God. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Now, I know David needed that. David had a lot of turmoil in his life. He needed disability of God. But what of our Christ? Just thinking of our Christ living through his days where he went to the garden, knowing exactly what's going to happen to him, knowing. And yet, he was not even shaken a bit. He never hesitated. Not one time. Not one time. He would go to Jerusalem, walk right through Samaria. And you know how the Samaritans are. We worship here, you worship Jerusalem. But he said, it's my time to go to Jerusalem. They said, well, then go. He did not hesitate. He went there with bravery. We can see how David took refuge in the Lord. And we can see how our Christ took refuge also in the Word of God. And how he committed himself to God in all things. But let us remember this the unwavering faith of Christ during the days of his flesh is what is now our example we can we are determined if we suffer and die that we will also enjoy those stabilities let's read in the last section verses 9 10 and 11 therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices my flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy at your right hand, are pleasures forevermore. This is the section that's quoted by uh, the Apostle Peter when preaching on the day of Pentecost. I want to set this stage because I want to read that message to you. It's not very long. It won't take long. And so we have the Apostle Peter going uh, among the people on the day of Pentecost, and there are many people speaking in tongues at this time. They're seeing and hearing the wonderful works of God in their own language, because people from all over the world have gone through Jerusalem. And then people are saying, I don't even understand what's going on. Are these people drunk or something? And so Peter then stands up to be heard, and this is his response. I'm reading this because... He's using this whole section of the psalm in his message. So listen to see what he says. Men of Israel, hear my words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up. Do you see? He's saying, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, and that I may not be shaken. you see? This is the quotation from this psalm. That Christ is saying this, Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Now he says this, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he is both dead and buried. Now, you see the contrast he's saying there? This psalm says that he is going to have hope and resting and that he will be raised from the dead. But David is still in his tomb. This is not talking about David, it's talking about the Christ whom you've crucified. Before being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he should set one of his descendants upon the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. And there we have the propagation, or shall we say the, um, the announcement that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And this is the psalm that was used to prove that. I'd like to have two practical applications, and then we'll go home for tonight. Number one... The first application is this, the good that we receive from the Lord is good. However, we have all things from God. There are two things that make up our lives, everything we enjoy and everything that we endure. Is it not true? What other categories do we have? The things we enjoy and the things we have to endure. All that we have that is good is laid out by the lines that God has given to us in our lot, and that He has given to us with good plans. And yet all the suffering, the cup that we must drink, is also laid out before us by God's design. And one is for joy today, and the other is for joy tomorrow. The other is that we cannot see what brings about. But we know that any type of suffering we have will one day bring joy. Now the second application is this, the good that our Lord Jesus Christ receives from the Father, I'm sure he had a a lot of good things happen, he was a good example, a good teacher, a good preacher, but all the things that he endured, what tremendous good came from it. Remember that this prayer at the very beginning that says, please preserve me, be my refuge, Christ is the one who is our refuge he is the one that preserves us and that cup he drank every bit, last bit of it everything that he did for us i want to put it this way it is our lord's joy that we receive all the benefits of his suffering and he will be satisfied when we receive the benefits of his suffering that's what's going to make him content that's what's going to make him pleased that's what's going to make him happy I want to read to you Isaiah chapter 53, and I want you to listen carefully about the idea that he is going to suffer and what he expects. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and that we should see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we did hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet he did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was laid upon him, and with his stripes we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. The Lord has laid on him uh, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as the sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He put him... To grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By my knowledge, by his knowledge, shall my righteous servant justify many, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will del- divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bore bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors and so did you catch it did you hear the words that he said and let me repeat them if you didn't he shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied because all these things all the all the the sufferings that he had the travail that he has do you know what his travail is you he travails over you and was he satisfied well the very resurrection of god in christ says i am satisfied with your work for them and he says i have now my excellent ones around me i have my friends there are those who run to other gods but i have seen the travail of my soul which is you and he is now pleased and satisfied He has gained what he has labored to win. Mm -hmm. All his pain, all his sorrow, has gained eternal joy for us. Let us follow that example. When you have in your life pain that you must endure, know that God's plan, his lines have been drawn for you all these things are for our good. If God be for us, none one can be against us. There is nothing that can harm us. and even the evil God has turned the curses into good. We must have faith. We must have strength, we must have character. We must have the kind of, of, of faith that we can live our lives according to His principles. no matter if the world says, "I will benefit you if you just drop this." And, and even the devil said to our Lord, If you bow down, I'll give you the kingdoms. You don't have to die. You don't have to do that. But remember the reading that our brother Art read. Bring forth a fatted calf. You know, a farmer doesn't keep all of his calves fat, only the ones he's going to kill. And if the world makes you fat and happy, you know what they're doing it for, right? You're next. There is nothing in this world that's happy without God. You have no God, there is no good. And therefore, let us keep our lives centered upon the one who preserves us. Make that relationship. Preserve me, O God. You are my refuge. Then you'll see the excellent ones around you. You'll see the ones running off to other gods. You'll understand that the portions that have been given, that God has laid out his lines. Here are wonderful plans, good plans. They may hurt sometimes, but that hurt will one day be a blessing. It will be good and we shall never be shaken because God is our God. He is our refuge. How can we be failing? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you for dying for us. We ask now that we might be given strength of knowing your word that we could live by faith, moment to moment, day to day. May we endure unto the end. May we be conquerors. May we be like those Uh, that are described in the apocalypse, how we could listen and hear what you say to the churches. May we be blessed by relying upon you, by leaning upon you, by taking our rest in you. Let us not labor with our hands to please you, but Father, let us offer the word of God. Let us offer uh, knowing that Jesus Christ has given us his own righteousness to justify us. So Father, we pray these things for your people. Bless them. We ask that you would, keep our christ ever before our eyes we pray this for his glory and for his sake and in his name amen